Hey, Rockford, very funny. I ain't laughing. You're going to get yours. Welcome to 200 a Day, a podcast where we explore the 70s detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. Which episode are we talking about today, Epi? Uh, it looks like we're talking about The Countess. This comes in the first season. Uh, it is, I believe, written by one of the creators. Is that correct? Yes, it is written by the creators, the two, the pair, oh. Roy Huggins and Stephen Cannell. And directed by Russ Mayberry, uh, who was a TV director of many, many of the, this era of TV shows, uh, including a bunch of Kojak and In the Heat of the Night episodes. And this nice. is the first of seven episodes that he would direct over the course of the series. So yeah, this is our third episode. So we see a lot of recurring characters introduced for the first time in this episode, which makes it uh, particularly delightful, I think. Yes. And the plot of the episode centers around, as indicated by the title, the Countess, a woman who we meet, uh, we see in the intro set of scenes, uh, and then we we see pretty much as, as soon as we start the episode. But a lot of the details about why characters do what they do in this episode is all bound up in her backstory and since that's kind of dribbled out to us over a course of many scenes i think it'll probably yeah, be she's best deliberately keeping it hidden from rockford and therefore from the audience we don't get a whole lot of dramatic irony in this one we we rockford is our through guy on this one but for the sake of this conversation i think i'll go ahead and, and kind of summarize what her deal is so we can just kind of refer to it instead of having to ask everyone listening to remember each of these details as they go along because right. i think it's a lot easier to do when you're watching the show and it's also visually you know giving you material uh as opposed to us trying to to summarize in in each moment so this is like a 40 years too late spoiler warning for people right so the countess is a woman who is being blackmailed and that's why rockford is on the case he's hired by her to to try and stop or discover this uh th this blackmail situation she's being blackmailed because she was involved with the mob at some point when she lived in chicago she started working at a, a store that was a front for the mob she was arrested for being involved with something and rather than go to jail she fled to europe now when she fled to europe she met and fell in love with and married a count, which is why she is now the countess. Yes. However, this count died, leaving her with her title uh, and an estate, one presumes, but, but no more husband. She came back to the United States and met her current husband, whose name is Mike, and, and married him. Then the countess and Mike moved to L.A., and she's in this society atmosphere, and she runs into a man named Carl, who knew her from the mob days. And has copies of the documents about how she was arrested and was supposed to go to prison. Yeah, like a rap sheet and whatnot. Right. I think that they're a little vague about exactly all that he has. Because I think there's hints that it's something more troubling than just a, a criminal past. But we don't really get the answer to that. Right. And also it's a little unclear about like why exactly she's supposed to go to jail. Like there's not a specific crime right. really mentioned. It's just that she was involved with the, you know, the syndicate or however they refer to it. Once Carl realizes that she's this woman that he knew back in the Chicago days, uh, he starts blackmailing her because he knows that she doesn't want her current husband to know anything about her criminal past. She doesn't want to hurt him 
by having this, you know, youthful indiscretion revealed. So that's the deal with the Countess. And we'll we'll mention when we learn each of these things, but that's all kind of dribbled out over multiple scenes in the beginning of the, or the first half of the episode. So that in, information is all to come, uh, but we start, start our episode with some great shots of a beachside fist fight between Rockford right. and, uh, and, and someone who we will meet shortly. Uh, we see the Countess. We see some police cars. Rockford under, under police uh, scrutiny. And I believe it, it, we, we, freeze, we freeze frame of a car going off a cliff to start yeah. our a little taste of the episode. Tantalizing hint of a car chase, perhaps? Maybe. We'll find out? Maybe. Our whole first sequence of the episode is all conducted essentially through a camera lens. Yeah, well, I mean, not the whole thing, but uh, Rockford's out there uh, in the grasses, in the tall grasses on a dune, uh, setting up an old, well, probably high-tech video camera. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it looks hilariously large and clunky to us. Uh, yeah, yeah. To us now, but it was probably state-of-the-art detective equipment at the time. As we'll soon find out, this this blackmailer guesses that Rockford's there, but he he, he says you probably got somebody there with one of those high-speed cameras, right? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> and so whenever we get these framing shots that are kind of beautifully framed, because Rockford has the soul of a director of photography. Uh, and we see the Countess coming up in a cab. So she's taking a cab to this uh, clandestine rendezvous, uh, essentially, and there's some chatter between her and the cab driver. (laughs) Who, I don't know his name, but I know he's a Scorpio with Pisces ascending. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's good, uh, because this immediately tells us some some stuff about the Countess, right? She's she's dressed very well, she has this beautiful hat, um, and this cab driver is basically hitting on her in this yeah. in this thing, and she brushes him off as if she's used to this, and you know doesn't need to pay much attention to uh, getting this kind of guy to leave her alone. He drops her off basically on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere, and then he definitely finds that odd, but yes. it just doesn't. You know, he's that's what he's paid to do. He's what he's gonna do. And then another car pulls up. A man gets out of the car, and. We kind of cut back and forth between Rockford viewing them through the camera and then their actual discussion and yeah. talking to each other. We shortly learn that this is Carl. They're there to make some kind of exchange uh, that is still kept a little unclear from the audience at this point. Carl definitely seems to have the upper hand here. He's kind of giving her uh, giving her some attitude. She just wants to kind of end this, whatever this happens to be. This is where we first hear the line of, of like, oh, you, you're living this great life or something like that. Not like in Chicago. So right. We know they have the, the past there. And Carl's uh, uh, savvy, right? Like he notes right away that she has, he, he, he grabs her, her purse, right? And uh, pulls out the giant tape recorder and the giant tape. Again, probably top of the line at the, at the time, but uh, awkward and clunky in our eyes. But like immediately knows that he's, she's trying to... Uh, catch him in the act this is when he mentions that he thinks that she's probably got a man on the hill who's videotaping them right he's He's too smart to do anything that could be recorded right he doesn't say anything before that he finds the tape recorder and he makes her get in the car to go somewhere else to make whatever this exchange is so that if there is someone recording them no he won't rockford will not be able to follow yeah and we uh 
end the scene with the the freeze frame through his camera in a little delightful moment. And then that cuts to the Countess and Rockford reviewing the tape that he did manage to take in his trailer. It's a a little implied that he kind of, she hired him to like do that without telling him why. Yeah, we don't, we don't quite get the the specifics of the contract. I know because I was desperately trying to work out how much money Rockford has on the line here. <laughs> right. But uh, we get no specifics of the contract, but she's cagey. She mm. doesn't want him to know why she's being blackmailed because she's afraid of being blackmailed again by right. Rockford. She doesn't fully trust Rockford, even though, uh, as we'll find out, that they have some history. This is There's an interesting contrast between these two characters because they're both fairly honest with each other. Mm. Uh, like, they're, they're old... They know each other from way back, apparently. Um, or that's the impression that I got. I think they mentioned that he knew her before she was a countess at some point in the uh, show. But she'll tell him that she doesn't trust him. So they're, they're honest with each other, but they don't trust each other either. Right. So there's this they, great tension there. That's... Through this whole kind of first act of the, of the episode, there are these moments that are basically, I'm not going to lie to you, but I'm not going to tell you anything else. Rockford keeps hitting these walls with like what's going on. They also have an interesting contrast because of the the class contrast, right? She's mm-hmm. obviously rich, well dressed, countess. They're in his trailer. Uh, he pours her a drink into a uh, paper cup, which is so a delightful good. moment, and, and comes back at the end. We'll we'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> we should point out that by paper cup, we mean like the little cup you get ketchup in. At a fast food restaurant. Like, yeah. it's not... This isn't like a Dixie cup. Or it's nothing that fancy. It's, it's like the tiny cup that you pull out of the uh, water cooler when yeah. it just has, like, the little <laughs> crinkly ones that kind of are still dissolving while you pour your water in them. That's what he has. And he, he pours her uh, some kind of, of drink. I actually uh, shot a bourbon saw... or something into that. Yeah, to, to calm her nerves. And, and, like, when I saw it, like, immediately began thinking i don't have those in my house like i'm not high society at all uh but i I was thinking like why would he even have those and then i realized that he lives near a restaurant (laughs) (laughs) he probably just takes them yeah that's what just kind of takes them off the whatever the little maybe they have a bar on the beach or something like that and maybe it's what the salsa comes in at the uh the taco stand which we'll get to in a different episode yes so after we kind of have the conversation with no real resolution except that Rockford says that he he wants her to trust him because he wants to help her right is yeah. that's kind of where we end uh, and then we cut from there directly to a fancy party this episode has a lot of very aggressive cuts between scenes and then just lets you figure out from the context why we moved from one to the other which is is nice it's very it, it's kind of it keeps it keeps it feeling moving like it's moving forward uh, right. through the whole the whole episode i think we're at the fancy party rockford's walking around meeting the uh, countess's social circle and this is where at least as the audience we learn that she didn't used to be a countess through right. a conversation that he has with someone rockford takes an hors d'oeuvre off of a passing tray but we don't see him eat it he just kind of moves his hand out of the frame and never see it again. I think it's a deviled egg, right? I don't remember. Maybe I'm wrong. uh, Because I remember thinking, that's not fancy. (laughs) But maybe those were fancy in the 70s. Or maybe I I, I don't understand. I I didn't quite see what it was. Yeah. (laughs) You just wished it was deviled egg. 
Oh. That would be fancy. However, we do have a bit of, of humorous business where uh, someone is asking him how he knows the Countess. Uh, yes. And he says that he met her at, I forget Marine exactly World? where, but like at the at the water park or something like that. Yeah, yeah, near, near the whale exhibit. Right. He said, I run the hot dog concession. The Countess loves my footlongs. <laughs> and goes on to detail how he makes them just right with chili and, and everything. Yeah. Uh, horrifying this person that he's talking to. And the the uh, the secret is the cling wrap. He pre cooks them and wraps them in cling wrap it so they don't get tough. Which I really hope is is a little coded bit about how he likes his hot dogs. Right. You know, perfectly <laughs> perfectly steamed in cling, cling wrap. I don't think that I run the hot dog concession and the Countess loves my footlongs is supposed to be innuendo. Actually, I think it's just supposed to be a joke. But the, yeah, to the yeah, modern ear, that... it's impossible not to hear it otherwise. There's a lot of, like, lingo that ends up in Rockford that I think gets a bit... Like, later on, we'll get uh, uh, into a couple things that people say to him that I'm like, phew, all right. Yeah. (laughs) What I love about this is this is... um, So this is a class collision here, right? Yeah. Like, this this older lady is being snooty and thinks that he's a compatriot of hers, and then he just reveals himself to be so low class that he wraps his hot dogs in cellophane. (laughs) And uh, I love it. I, I mean, mean, it's a great Rockford moment. He loves to tweak people's noses about yeah. being snooty, right? Like that's something that he goes, he'll go out of his way to do in social situations like this. But also if he's like talking to a client who's really rich and he doesn't like their attitude, he'll right give them crap about it. Because it's kind of part of his independence uh, is about not caring what people think about him because of money. He doesn't have a lot of it and he doesn't think it's important it's right for people to look down on other people just because they have money. Right. We get a good juxtaposition of this with his immediately following this when he starts interacting with Mike Ryder, who mm-hmm. is the Countess's current husband, who is also wealthy, uh, but from a more salt-of-the-earth kind of background. So him and Rockford get along. They, they, they're, there's none of this interaction where Rockford has to take him down a peg because he's already kind of standing on that bottom rung with him. Yeah, it's a very kind of American working class solidarity kind of thing where it's like yeah. if you're rich but you got there through being working class, then we have a stronger bond than like two people do just for being rich. Again, that's a little bit of subtext in their in their interaction, but it's in a lot of Rockford episodes. Also, when yeah. he plays a rich person, like when he's putting on a an act as like a the Oklahoma oil man, which is a common one. Yeah. Um, he's always super folksy and very plays it as like a buffoon who is rich despite himself kind of, kind of thing. So that conversation with Mike Ryder meeting him and, and, and their interaction is uh, kind of wrapped up in this conversation that he ends up having with the countess inside the house where she lays out enough of the facts about why she's being that she's being blackmailed and why that he kind of comes around to feeling comfortable helping her because Rockford doesn't like to be in the dark. He doesn't feel like he can do his job if he doesn't have all the information. So once she kind of realizes that he wants to be on her side and reveals um, like why, how she became a countess and why she's married to Mike and why she's being blackmailed by this guy, Carl, he comes around and is like, okay, I will do what I can to help you out. This is also good for us as an audience because we're seeing a little bit about why she would turn to someone like Rockford for help, right? She's got this history that makes it a little 
difficult for her to go to the authorities. Not to mention that she's being blackmailed and the whole point, the whole reason why blackmail works is that you don't want to go to the authorities about right. it. But it just, it gives it this sort of, this need for this extra legal help that Rock, Rockford can offer. And then, of course, it gives us a sense of her isolation from the rest of the society that she's kind of wrapped around in right now and why uh, there's this need for the character of Rockford to be involved in her life at any for any reason. And this is where we we learn the kind of the key info about specifically she doesn't want to make her husband think less of her. Like that's yeah. like the real kind of core reason of why she's not willing to go to the authorities and why she doesn't want this information to come out. So that, and she's got this great way of of I don't know if rationalizing is the right way to to term this, but she's she puts it down like she's doing her husband a favor, mm-hmm. right? It's so important to him that I'm a countess. I don't want to ruin that for him. It would be devastating to him, right. not not it would be devastating to her. But like it it's... seems to come from a place of her genuinely caring about him, yeah, and yeah. being. Uh, cognizant of what their relationship means to him, not out of a place yeah. of her being like dominated or browbeaten or anything like that. Um, she's yeah, very yeah. much the protagonist in making that choice. Yeah, which is it's interesting. Cool. I like it. Yeah, I think it's it makes her a more interesting character, and it makes for a more complex set of uh, of realizations as the episode goes on. Before we move on, there's there's another moment in this scene that I want to talk about, if I may. Please, if I may. please, no, you may. This observation that Rockford is not impressed by titles. Mm-hmm. And so he tells this story about this mafia button man who had these business cards printed up uh, that said independent contractor and then his name and then under that hitman. And Rockford said something like, that is the only title I've been impressed by. And there, there's a couple of things about this that are great. Number one, Rockford and business cards. He uses titles on business cards to impress people all the time. Like that's a thing that he does to get, you know, get his scams over on people. Uh, but the other thing is that he's saying that as a declaration of fear, right? Like mm-hmm. he was impressed by this title because he was afraid of this guy. Like right. that was what was happening. And- it wasn't, I totally respect this hitman. Core to Rockford, we talked about this elsewhere, but like his healthy fear of the criminal element mm-hmm. that doesn't he doesn't let that control him but it definitely guides him and he's he's constantly laying that out for other people right anyone who's confident enough in being a hitman to put it on their business card is not someone right. that rockford wants to mess with right exactly yeah <laughs> he's like no that's it yeah so no that is a great moment from there we we go to a beachside condo where rockford has tracked down this this guy, Carl. Carl yeah. Brago is the name that we start hearing. So Carl Brago, the blackmailer, um, who's hanging out with a with a woman named Leah, and they're just relaxing Canoodling. on the beach. Yeah. Rockford comes comes in and has a message from the countess. Carl's like, okay, I'll hear you out. Uh, they go down. They walk down the beach so that Leah doesn't overhear their conversation. And here we see a, a classic Rockford move, which is to claim that he's doing what the person is doing in order to get that person to do something back off or or react in some way so he's basically like i'm muscling in on your action you know i want to shake her down more than you do so you should back off and everything will be cool i want to take a moment to point out if you're going back to watch this episode you should pay attention to carl's fashion oh yes Uh, because carl's fashion is amazing i am jealous of those high-waisted pants that he's he's he is wearing powder blue pants 
no shirt and like this big gold medallion necklace. Mm -hmm. Um, But the waist on those pants, like you're not going to see his navel. It comes up to like his rib cage or something like that. And I'm, oh God, I'm jealous. I was mentally picturing the unbuttoned shirt with the really long, narrow lapels. Except that then, as you mentioned it, you're right. He wasn't wearing a shirt. Just his overall look was such that I could imagine the shirt that he was wearing before he took it off to go to the beach. Right, yeah. But keep his yeah. high-waisted powder blue pants. Oh, so good. Yeah, it's uh, so good. such a great look for It him. is a beautiful, though, I mean, it is of its time, right? Like, there's a lot of really yeah. great, glorious uh, early 70s fashion across all of these characters. The hats that women wear in these episodes, for example, is an interesting yeah. uh, series of choices, but... Yeah, he is, he's clearly a scumbag, but he's also, he's making fashionable choices for him. Right, yeah. He is yeah. 100% wearing what a rich scumbag would wear. Mm-hmm. It's great. So yeah, they have this kind of uh, guarded conversation where Rockford, he basically says that he has a more compelling claim to blackmail the Countess. I don't like getting bumped into curbs. He doesn't want to <laughs> have a, uh, if you will, a collision course with, uh, with Carl over this. And Carl... It's kind of like, okay, sure, whatever you say. But as we know from a conversation in the previous scene, actually, that Rockford had with Mike Ryder, uh, Carl is a a known sucker puncher. He has this move where he'll kick a guy in the kneecap in order to take him out before they know that they're fighting. And Rockford is on the watch for it. So Carl is very accommodating with like, yeah, sure, whatever you say. I was just doing it to get a kick out of it, man. Like that kind of thing. Yeah. And then he tries to take Rockford down with the kneecap kick, which he was waiting for. Yeah. Reaches out to shake his hand, and you know, and I know, because we we were there for Rockford when he heard this information. I was on the edge of my beanbag, <laughs> waiting for that moment for when the handshake would come to see what Rockford was going to do. You know, we'll see a little bit. He's going to hold himself in a fight, but like his main thing is fighting smart. You know, like mm-hmm. he, if he got if he has information over his opponent, that's where he has the better chance of uh, surviving. He's not going to put his fists up and just duke it yeah, out. Yeah, he, he prefers surprise um, and uh, uh, misdirection over just straight up yeah. slugging it out. That said, once he counters the kneecap kick, the two yes. of them literally put up their dukes and circle around each other on the beach throwing guarded punches. The choreography here is it's magnificent. Yeah, my note is just they punch <laughs> on the beach. It is not yes. a fight scene, right? Like it's not a exciting, dynamic yeah. You know, let us find out the character of these combatants through their conflict thing. It's two guys, you know, who are suddenly punching each other on the beach, but neither of them really wants to... They kind of have, like, face to save, and yeah. there's no real yeah. clear out for either of them other than running away, right? At some point, doesn't Carl tell Rockford to shimmy up a rope? Something like that. Something like that. There's yeah, go, another... go climb a rope. Go shimmy yeah, up a rope. Yeah, or something that... It's a great insult. Or I don't like it when guys shimmy up my rope, something like that. Yeah, something like that, yeah. It's around when Rockford says he doesn't like getting bumped into curbs. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, we we see them uh, starting to duke it out. We're not really sure where this is going. And then suddenly, from out of nowhere, a shot rings out. Carl goes down. He's been shot. And we uh, see over a sand dune an old couple out for a walk who sees him get shot and go down. And then Rockford looks up and sees a figure on a, on kind of a, a bluff moving away. Yeah. This whole, this whole time someone has been hanging out with a gun waiting, waiting for a shot. At this point, we don't know 
whether that was supposed to hit Carl or not, right? Yeah. I want to interject here Carl's last words because they're amazing. So, again, the powder blue pants up to, you know, up to his rib cage. Nice gold medallion. None of that has come off in the fight. He's down on one knee. He's been, I think we'll find out, shot in the back. He's about to just collapse. And he looks up at Rockford and he just says, how about that? Yeah. Beautiful. It's great. He had no reason to think that this is where this was going to go, right? Yeah. Just How about that? A little, little surprised by it. A little like, huh. Yep. Who'd have thought? And that was it. So we're less than a third through the episode. The blackmailer is dead and Rockford <laughs> dashes off in pursuit of, of, of the shooter. So as an audience member, you know, we're kind of like, you know, like, where did that come from? Who is that? Where is this going to go now? Because obviously this is just setting off the next chain of events. This isn't the resolution of the of the story so far. Rockford runs to his sweet ride and pursues, pursues this white convertible down the uh, beachside highway. It's a Porsche. Is it? Yeah, uh, I think I'm. I think that's. I'm pretty sure yeah, it is. It's definitely a small convertible, fancy car I mean, of some kind. Yeah, I think we've both admitted that we don't know. We cars, are not car but, people, but this was clearly a definitely... expensive car. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. But then uh, it has a, a pretty big lead, so this isn't really a car chase. It's more just a scene showing that Rockford can't really catch up with the convertible. Yeah. The roads are long and they're a little windy, but they're not. Like, I guess a key to a Rockford car chase is something to do, mm -hmm. right? And the only thing to do here is to have your foot on the gas in the straightaway and be careful on the turns. Like, there's right. no tactical options or anything. So he's... so this is actually resolved by uh, a motorcycle cop pulls out following Rockford because he's speeding, obviously, uh, and ends up pulling him over. And that's kind yes. of when he admits that he, that he gives up the chase Uh you know, it's clear clear that he's not going to catch this convertible. The cop pulls him over. He gets out and, you know, tries to tell him, like, you know, a man got shot. I was following the shooter. You need to follow that, that car. And uh, the, the cop, who I will note, is wearing a bow tie. Which, yes. <laughs> which I don't know if that's a standard issue. And it's like a light purple, too, isn't yeah. it? Like almost, almost lavender. It's a little darker than like, lavender. Like did someone but... have to get called out of central casting like they couldn't find the cop for that scene or something and still wearing a waiter uniform i don't know it was I really, really wish that was yeah i wish that was standard issue though anyway this bow tie wearing cop calls in for backup on a on a code a 187 or whatever and rockford realizes that they're bringing him in for this uh for this crime yeah and rockford knows what the the call number for the murder yeah. is right like he he knows enough about cop stuff that he's right he knows he's being pulled in for it. Yeah, I think he even says, like, you think I shot him? It was I was following the guy who shot yeah. him, but our bow tie wearing cop is having none of it. And so we go downtown to our first confrontation um, in the run of the series with Lieutenant Deal. I got to say, the, the very last, well, maybe not the very last, but like when Rockford's talking to the, the motorcycle cop, the motorcycle cop tells him, well, my lieutenant's coming. You could tell it to him or something like mm -hmm. that. And I thought, oh, lieutenant. Will this be? It is. Will, and then, yes, mm -hmm. Lieutenant, Lieutenant Deal. Deal does not like Rockford. Rockford uh, yeah. is always messing with police procedures, usually through his friendship with uh, Sergeant Becker, who we will meet in a little bit. This is Deal's first appearance in the series, right? Yes, I believe so. And I th it feels like this is the first time Deal meets Rockford. I'm not. It's not entirely evident if that's the mm. case, but it just sort of feels like it. And so, as it, characters, 
this is near the beginning of their generation, right? Yeah. And I think we see this with their other recurring characters that we'll meet in the next couple of scenes, how their interactions with Jim Rockford now are a little different than they're going to be a season from now or two seasons yeah. from now when all the actors have a chance to like settle in and they have more like writers that care about the characters. Right now, they're kind of in boxes still a little bit. They're what the story They're what the story needs. Moment. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. So Lieutenant Deal is uh, coming down on Rockford with all this circumstantial evidence, basically, to, to put him at the scene of the crime. Or he is at the scene of the crime, but to, to make him the shooter. Yeah. The old couple are witnesses, saw them fighting on the beach. They go back and forth about technicalities, about whether he was shot with a pistol or a rifle, and like the caliber could have come from either of them. So like he could have pulled a pistol and you could have shot him with it. Rockford's like, well, I don't have a pistol, and there's not one at the scene, so that you can't keep right. me on that. There's a there's a bunch of back and forth that kind of establishes that Lieutenant Deal would love to just be like, you did it, you're going to jail. Like, I have the evidence, yeah. and Rockford is too smart for that, and he is going to call his lawyer. He asks for his lawyer, and that kind of gets Deal to back off. Two things about this scene that I thought were, were, were interesting. One is that he does make up a reason why he was there even right. though he's he's they're they're trying to pin a murder on him he's still not going to give up his client in this moment so he he manufactures the the reason why he was meeting brago and then also back to our great phrases dictionary somewhere in here lieutenant deal says i didn't come down with yesterday's rain another good one is uh deal accuses rockford of being a yardbird lawyer mm. because he's rockford's been in prison so he's just basically saying, you prisoners who think you're lawyers, or you're con- you cons that think you're, mm-hmm. you're lawyers. It was good Which stuff. Which is kind of a fair, a fair assessment for Rockford. Like, yeah, he does yeah. do lots of things because of his knowledge of the law. So this is where we get the first appearance of Beth, his lawyer. Um, yes. And, uh, and friend, and who appears in many episodes, especially over the first couple seasons. But I believe this is her first appearance. She I believe she's a little late because of another case or something like that. She's reading the Rockford's arrest report, I think, on the way mm-hmm. to meeting them, like when she bumps into them. She basically faces down Lieutenant Deal about so, yeah about him not having standing basically to arrest her client based on on the evidence. It's pretty cool because she this is again a pretty short scene. Only it's only a couple minutes. It's mostly yeah. just dialogue, but. We learned that, uh, so Beth doesn't put up with, like, sexist for yeah. lack of a better term. Like, I think uh, Deal tries to, like, honey her or something like that, or sweetheart or something like oh, that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And she's just like, you do not call me sweetheart. I'm a lawyer. Call me counselor or something like that, like, which is great. Yeah. And she gets Deal off of Rockford's back by basically pushing him and saying, like, well, you can do this, but you're going to have to make this evidence stick. And if you don't, then you're going to be in trouble with your boss. Right. This is a whole thing. She's like, I know how the police work. And if you think this circumstantial stuff isn't going to backfire on you, you know, that's your risk to take basically. And he's not willing to take Some, it. Someone like Rockford needs, needs a, a lawyer as good as Beth. It's a great establishing moment for her because it just shows that she, she knows what she's doing and why in particular, uh, should be uh, good for Rockford, mm-hmm. right? Like, if they had gone some other way and given him, like, a bumbling lawyer or something like that, then he I don't think he'd be as free to do the stuff he, he does. But we have this uh, little bit of a shark here in this mm-hmm. lawyer. Then we establish almost right away that Rockford doesn't quite... He's not as... I, don't, I want to be careful about how I say this, because he, he definitely 
Because we go outside the police station and she's parked in a no parking zone right in front of the police station. She's like, oh, don't worry about that. They don't put out tickets right in front of the police station. And he's like, why are you my lawyer? Right. Like immediately, th- there's a a thing there where he doesn't, he's not as confident in her as, as he I think, should be, right? I think he's a little hesitant to admit that he needs a lawyer, right? Because he's so self-sufficient yeah. about everything. But he also knows how the law works, so he knows when he needs to call her. And so there's a little yeah. bit of like, either be perfect or like, don't make me face the fact yeah. that like, you are also a flawed person. Right. Over the course of the show, their relationship gets a lot more complex, I'd say. In this episode, she's oh, yeah. very businesslike, uh, has kind of a sense of humor, but doesn't necessarily show uh, the warmth with Jim Rockford that I associate yeah. with the relationship from other episodes. And so that's a little bit yeah. of what I mean about this being, as you said, like she's there because the episode needs her to be there in the way that she is. And she develops over time. She does ask him if he did kill Carl in the tradition <laughs> of like, so am I defending you as a guilty person or not? Kind of a lawyerly moment. Uh, and he's like, no, of course I didn't kill him. And I, and I think Rockford in that moment is, he, he feigns offense or maybe he, he does, is offended, but it's not that she thinks he might be guilty, but it's that she would defend somebody who was right. guilty. <laughs> <laughs> Which, there's a lot of hair splitting in like yeah yeah wait, what exactly it is that causes the uh tension here but yeah so she gets him get keeps him from from getting booked for now rockford heads back to his trailer and it's obviously been been tossed someone's gone through all his stuff he pulls out a couple desk drawers and then realizes that someone has erased the tape that he made of the countess uh and her meeting Carl in, in our opening scene. So the plot thickens, right? Carl's been shot. Yes. Now someone's erased this tape. Now what? So he goes back to see her, obviously suspicious of her. Like that's kind of the one logical leap, right? Is that she decided to take matters into her own hands, has killed Carl and erased the evidence. Right. So he interrupts her her tennis lesson. And when she tries to brush him off, he, he, he just very loudly so that the uh, tennis instructor or, or her, her tennis partner can hear, be like, so do you want to talk about, like, Carl Brago's murder now, or I can wait? Right? <laughs> kind of forces her hand. And the tennis instructor is played by... Uh... Was it James Cromwell? Yes. I recognize him from uh, uh, Star Trek uh, appearances. Yes, yes. I mean, like, this is one of the gems of watching Rockford Files now. You'll occasionally get uh, older actors who are known to the generation when Rockford Files airs, and then you'll get a bunch of young actors or younger actors who are just about to make their stuff. And you're like, wait, I know that guy. I did not make that connection because I don't recognize faces as much, but but yeah, that's great. He kind of he kind of lets them have their conversation. This is an interesting tactical conversation from Rockford that I really like because uh, it keeps us guessing a little bit about where he's going, and then we realize it before she does just because we saw the previous scene so i think it's a really effective weaving together of of the elements of the story so far so that we're still invested in finding out but we also have the little like delight of knowing knowing the trick before the characters do jim accuses the countess of setting him up in order to take the fall for carl's murder uh and she denies it and he acts and this is one of james garner's great strengths is like acting like he's acting or yes or 
acting such that we're not sure if the character is acting or not. Yeah. So it's a time when, you know, where where is Jim Rockford going with this? Is he putting on a front or does he really think this uh, moment? And it's all conveyed just through the conversation and body language and, and everything. It's, I don't know, it's something that James Garner does to great effect uh, throughout the series. He maneuvers it so that he gets... Her reactions to the things he's saying convinces him that she is not responsible. She denies it. He says that, well, if this is all about money, you're rich. I still have the tape, so I still have a connection to you. So that's when, as the audience, we're like, okay, that's where he's going with this. Um, Because we just saw that it was deleted. I'll sell you the tape for 100 grand and take the fall. 100 grand is worth it to, like, to, you know, go to jail for however many years or something like that. Yeah, I'm trying to remember exactly how it went down. I just know that the gist of it was her reaction. I forget if she says that she will buy the tapes. I think she she might. Yeah. Um, I think I was, I was in a haze of like, oh, that's such a cool little strategic yeah. <laughs> moment that I forgot the actual to write down the actual plot moment there. But basically, he offers to sell her the tra- the tapes for a hundred grand. She's basically like, okay, I'll 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 do that, or I'll get the tapes from you some other way or something. Thus proving to him that she doesn't know that the tapes were erased. Erased, and yes. that is what confirms for him that she was not the one who murdered Carl. That explanation is probably longer than just watching the scene and oh, just watching it play out, right? Like definitely. that's part of the, the economy of the, of the dialogue in this scene is um, just really sharp. It just lays out so, so well. It's really nice. And my other note from here is that uh, this, he does say it somewhere in here. That he's not working for her anymore. Now he's working for free. Right. And and he also has this moment where he tells her that uh, he doesn't know what he's going to do. Like, when he gets cornered like this, he may just throw her under the bus. I don't remember his exact mm. words for it, but it was... Like, he he's very forthcoming about that. He, he says, uh, well, we're in a situation where I'm accused of murder, right? Like, so... If, if it's going to get me out of that, I will turn you right. in. And uh, it was kind of an interesting uh, moment of honesty, again, between these two characters that don't quite trust each other, but are fairly honest with each other. Once he's convinced that she didn't actually set him up, though, he yeah. they kind of talk out the situation a little bit and kind of admits that he's stuck. He thought it was her, but since it's not her, he doesn't know where to go next to figure out like who wanted him dead why did they kill him in that in that manner um and so that's kind of our our midpoint of the of the episode i think is is the moment the the rockford indecision moment where he's kind of like you know what i thought was happening isn't what's happening i now I need to retrace my steps basically and figure out what i missed right so he heads back to carl's condo which has been police taped off to, to poke around and hopefully find something, find some some clues, one would imagine. He breaks into the the back door with a hand weight that's just sitting around outside, which yeah, uh, it's just it's great. Well, if you're on the yeah. beach, keep your weights outside. Yeah, it's not like it's a security door; it's just like a cl- access door. And he finds an address book and flips through, and the camera directs us to Leah Richards' phone number, yes. reminding us of the woman Leah that we saw. Carl with the first time that that uh, Rockford came out here. So he has a lead, or we know because he knows that that woman was there. He has her phone number. Uh, he tries to call it. There's no answer. And then he hangs up and heads back to his trailer 
where he then calls his good friend, Sergeant Dennis Becker, down at LAPD. Oh, yeah. So good. This is when the episode starts picking up, starts uh, all the, the elements start kind of um, lining up for us to, to see what's going on. When Rockford calls Dennis, uh, you know, he has this idea of, I have a lead and I think this this woman will be able to confirm that I did not shoot Carl, right? Like that's basically right. what he's what he's going for, but he needs to find her. So he's calling his friend at the police station. Can you do me a favor and give me info on this woman so I can find her to clear my name? Of course, when Becker picks up the phone in the background, we see Lieutenant Deal talking to Leah, right. who has come in on her own, basically, and is fingering Rockford for the murder, is, is telling a lie to put him uh, in the hot seat. And Dennis is on the phone and he's like, oh, hey, Rockford. Mm-hmm. How you doing? <laughs> Just saying Rockford's name as loud as he yeah. can so his lieutenant And then he like hear. covers the phone and they have a brief, uh, a quick little strategy session about how long it's going to take the plainclothes yes. cops out to, out, to his, uh, out to his place to arrest him. And Deal says he needs 25 minutes. Yeah. So Becker now is keeping Rockford on the phone to stall him to serve this, uh, to, to get him arrested basically. This is an interesting moment because I wasn't sure if Becker was trying to keep him on the phone, but just bad at it. Right. Or if he's trying to keep him on the phone for deal's sake, but trying to give Rockford the message that he's keeping him on the phone because he's friends with Rockford. It could be coded signaling. He keeps getting things wrong. And it's hard to tell if he's getting them wrong because he just doesn't know what to say and he's just making things up or if he's deliberately trying to somehow let Rockford know by mentioning fishing yellowtail when they're out of season. Right. And uh, like that it, getting like, oysters like, at the at the pier or something and not yeah. clams. I think the intention has to be that he's trying to tip Jim off, right? Yeah. It's not telegraphed well, it's so hard very te- well in this particular conversation. Yeah. One, one of the things that, I mean, I love the relationship between Rockford and, and Becker. It, it's, uh, it is so delightfully antagonistic but yet at the same time yeah like you get the feeling that it's antagonistic because becker has a job to do and rockford makes that job hard so becker does whatever he can to make sure the job gets done but will look out for his buddy as long as it doesn't involve actually breaking yeah he the doesn't law. really want jim to go down necessarily even though he says that yeah. he does and this is the tension yeah. of their relationship for their, the entire series. In yes. this case, he's a little, I think he's a little brusque, more brusque with Jim than he probably is later in, in the season. Yeah, like, this is, we're early yeah, Becker. Yeah, early Becker where they're a little more antagonistic and a little less because of other reasons. Yeah. Uh, so that said, Rockford picks up on it eventually. You know, it's like, oh, come on, Dennis. Dennis, I thought we were friends. <laughs> and hangs up the phone. Yes. He knows that the cops are coming to pick him up. He walks out of his trailer uh, directly into two goons with guns who grab him and put them into their own car. Two things here. Well, three things here. First, Rockford at first assumes that they are the plainclothes cops that have come to pick him up. And then when he learns that they are not, he is not very happy about it. Second, that pickup is seen by the actual cops who were coming to pick him up, like out on the street. Right, yeah. Who then pull a Yui and follow this car. The, The pace 
you know, is now accelerating as all these pieces yeah. fall they, into place. And they call in for backup and instruction, right. which I, mm. I love. Like, just what are we supposed to do not, not at sure. this point? And my third point was that those plainclothes cops have amazing mustaches. <laughs> yes. Amazing 70s mustaches. So these these guys who are pretty obviously mafia types take Rockford to a, to a big empty warehouse where they bring him into a room to talk to an older man who wants to know why Rockford killed Carl Brago, his cousin. So now we're getting into yes. mob family stuff. Rockford, always willing to use an opportunity, throws out a line about how this this was a mob hit. It wasn't me. And then the guy breaks down. No, no. This is how it happens when the mob orders a hit, which is right. a delightful piece of TV a, mob logic. A little walk through through the bureaucracy of organized mm-hmm. crime. Uh, it's it's enough to make it sound boring, uh, but I love it. It's just this like I had to talk to this person. There he's being micromanaged the whole time, and uh, one of the things that I love about this show is that I mean whether it's explicitly made or not, every character has some sort of pressure right. on them, right? There there's no unmotivated character, and here this guy is motivated for revenge for his cousin, but also he's. Much younger cousin. Uh, yeah, apparently. This guy's fairly old, yeah. Uh, but also, like, he's he's got this this sort of organized crime, uh, the weight of this organized crime structure on his shoulders, right? So, so something has to be done here. We're not sure what. And he just wants to get his job done right. uh, and maybe get vengeance. But I, I love that. It, it's almost like bureaucratic vengeance. It's kind of like, look. If yeah. someone killed him, then I have to kill them because that's how it works. So I just right. need to know, right. you know. And so Rockford throws out a new story. Uh, so this is now his third story about why he was there, <laughs> that he was hired by another goon, another mafia uh, name. And he names a, a guy who's obviously like a known operative of some kind. Yeah, Rockford just might know that he was in Europe at that time, right? right? Like it, it's... It's feasible that Rockford picked somebody that he knew that they couldn't check with right away. Right, because he um, kind of keeps his hand in with, like, the underworld news, essentially. He's always yeah. throwing out little little tidbits about knowing who these names are and what they're up to and stuff like that. So the I don't think he's ever named, but the older guy uh, tells some of his flunkies to go check out the story, and then they'll go from there. But before it can be checked out, the cops crashed the place because they were being followed after all. And apparently that amount of time was enough for backup to show up and for a deal deal and Becker to decide what to do. So in the nick of time, Jim Rockford is saved by the police. There is one great, just the timing of it is so great. Like, Oh, it's so beautiful. They bust in, they shout freeze, the mafia guys drop their guns and stuff. There's a beat. And then Rockford punches the guy who punched him earlier he like got slapped around a little yeah. bit, so he just like punches the guy in the face and puts up his hands. The old guy first goes to run, and Rockford right. trips him. And the old guy is running for a door that we, as the audience, can see. That's in the the sort of the background of the shot. Rockford trips him right away when the cops come in. And then there's that yeah that wonderful beat where the cops clearly have control of the situation. Everyone knows it, and that just blatantly rocked yeah, and punches the guy. A, He's just upset. It's He's just, just a straight like, up uh, uh, revenge punch. Just like, you punched me, I get yeah. to punch you. And then Rockford, it, it seems like this throwaway thing, but he says that he just described what we just saw to the to 
to Dennis and the other cops. He says, I think the old guy just got confused and went running for that closet, pointing to that door in the background. Uh, this is a moment where Rockford is thinking on his feet in a way that, like, the audience hasn't quite caught up with yet. We don't know. Why assume that was a closet? Why? Why? This guy didn't seem like he was confused. Mm-hmm. What are you playing at right. here? So, And what he's playing at is is getting the other cops out of the room so he can talk to Dennis alone. Becker's in charge. He brought these cops. They've arrested these mafia guys. They can get them for uh, kidnapping because they witnessed them take Jim Rockford against his will. So they have a reason to actually bring these guys in, right? And Rockford asks Dennis for time. He's like, I'm going to have to bring you in too. In fact, he says, uh, he's like, I, I have to bring you in for this murder charge that we, we have a witness. Jim says, I didn't do it. Right. She's setting me up. And Dennis Becker says, I don't believe you did, but I'm a cop. I got to bring you in. He's got to do his job. Rockford asks for time. Becker says no. So that's that's when Jim sucker punches Dennis and then runs away, dives into a into a, a car, one of the the mob guys' cars that was still in the. Well, he he specifically runs for that yeah. door that he told them was a closet. Like Rockford wouldn't know for sure, but probably assumed that that was an escape right. route and was like trying to keep the cops. Oh. Away Off from of that because, going over there because that's his way out. Yeah, that if he needs to go, he needs to go. And of course, it's an escape route. It's a, it's a door with a car just right. waiting. So he dives right into this there. car. So he punches Becker right in the stomach. Oh, <laughs> it's so not good. nice at all. And then he runs over, dives into this car, uh, executes some precision driving to uh, shoot out of the out of the warehouse. And I would be so terrified. It's an old mm-hmm. car. These were the size of boats, and it's in this alleyway that's got like a couple inches of clearance. Oh yeah, the on windows are side. barely and clearing just... the thing. And as as we know, most of the James Garner did most of the driving, like as practical, yeah. practical driving. So even at a low speed, like that's a great little piece of like you have to keep this car exactly square. I mean, it could have been on a track or something yep. for all I know, but um, it's, it's just a cool moment. And it, it shows that he's just so effortlessly good at driving. Like it just is part of his character, yeah. which is yeah. great. Uh, he gets away from, from, from some cops who are following him with a couple, a couple precision moves to get out of this area. And then we cut back to the Countess's house that we saw the party at earlier. And Rockford has been putting the pieces together in his mind, basically. Uh, and has come back to confront her one more time with what is going on. Because he knows it wasn't the mob because the mob thought it was him. If it was a mob hit, he, they wouldn't have cared about him or they would have just killed him as a witness, right? Since they thought it was him, yeah. it obviously can't be them. He's convinced it's not her because of that tape conversation earlier. So that leaves only one person. It has to be her husband. Dun, 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 dun. Dun. Why would Mike Ryder want to kill this man, you ask? Well... Obviously, um, his motive was to protect the Countess. Right. Because he didn't want her to go to jail, obviously, and didn't want this to come out because he wanted to protect her, not necessarily because he wanted to protect himself, which again gets back to the nature of their relationship, which actually seems like a very positive one. Like, they're both concerned about each other's yeah. welfare, and they don't want each other to be hurt. Well, all things considered. Except that he's a murderer. Like, yeah. that's... Yeah, yeah. And so Mike appears in the, 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 the big reveal at the end of the scene with the gun and kind of confirms, you know, that he did it for her to protect her. But now there's one more witness. And if Jim goes to the police, then that's going to ruin both of them. Right. So obviously now Mike has to kill Rockford in order to make everything right. 
I I know I've seen this episode before, but it was probably a while ago because I watched these roughly in order the first time. So it was probably when I was first watching the show. Yeah. I think all the way through when he's talking with the old the old mob guy, I still couldn't quite remember slash I wasn't quite sure where it was going. Like who the murderer no, I, actually I, was. I think I had in the back of my mind that it could have been uh, that it was uh, Mike. I mean, we're watching these episodes somewhere between a week and 20 minutes before <laughs> right. we actually talk well, about I bring them. It so up and... uh, I, I probably watched this like two years yeah. ago, most recently. And uh, I think partly because of the actor who played Mike and the mm. way he looked, I was like, he's going to have a big role mm. here. And we haven't seen yeah. him in a while. Like you get that way with detective shows sometimes where you're, you're like, oh, but this was telegraphed. That person, even if you don't recognize, yeah, yeah if, even if you don't recognize the actor, you could be like, that person can act. Mm. I bet you their role <laughs> is better. I, yeah, I, I bring it up because I think there's enough going on in this episode where just watching it as a show, there wasn't a necessary ending up until you found out the ending. Right. Like it would have made as much narrative sense to me if like. It was the Countess, and she had done some kind of elaborate double blind to keep Rockford on her side. Like, that could have been right, yeah. a, a compelling... Pulled someone else from out of her past. Because right. that happens done, sometimes with these where, you know, where the, the identity yeah. of whoever did the crime is, like, they just show up at the very end. I just bring that up because I think it was a, a, a strength of this episode where there was still... It was yeah, it was a good who'd done it, and there were still a couple resolutions that would have followed from what had been established in the episode so far that said it's the it's the husband and he's going to take take rockford for a drive making rockford drive which they always think is smart but yeah. never is as we'll find out there's a a good negotiation on the way mm-hmm. to the car where rockford explains that he doesn't want to do time but it's better than forever so he will take the he, he again he's like i'm going i will admit to the crime i'll probably get 10 years with good behavior. Just drop $100,000 in my bank account. $10,000 a year? Yeah. <laughs> set me up for life and I'll be done. Which is, again, this is like the only monetary amount that we get in this entire episode for what's actually on the line. And it's it's pretty steep. I mean, like $100,000, you know, that's half a million right. roughly uh, in modern dollars. A little more. But it's for him taking the rap for a right. murder charge. Yeah, right? it's like a pretty it's, serious commitment <laughs> and uh of course mike does not go for it he, he doesn't believe that rockford's not gonna end up selling him out in the end blackmailing, blackmailing him or something again. yeah uh so he makes rockford drive and they they go off in this uh in the car to whatever location mike has selected for this this execution to occur which is when rockford pulls one of his delightful stratagems which is he just starts speeding puts puts pedal to the yep. metal and is uh driving the car pushing the car as hard as it'll go mike is like you know if you don't slow down if you don't do what i say i'm going to shoot you and he's like if you shoot me we both die so i'm going down for murder anyway yeah one of his strategies is to to make the other person complicit with whatever he's doing that will get them both in trouble right it's a it's the game of chicken that he likes to play. In this case, it's yeah. pretty literal because they're in a speeding car. I think they they show the speedometer to like you know show us how dangerous this is. <laughs> it's up like 70, 80 miles an hour or something like that. Pretty fast. And and it's good because he he often like when people take everything away from him, you know, and they 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 put him in the hardest spot. He'll let them know. He's like, well, what do you have to negotiate with? Right. Like, like there's you're, you're 
you're threatening you to kill me. So anything short of me dying is a win for me. And that's right. basically what so. happens because Mike calls him on it and shoots him while he's driving. Uh, as it turns out, shoots him in the arm. Yeah, point like point blank. blank. Oh, I mean, that must have been a pretty small caliber <laughs> weapon because he still has a shoulder left. But uh, TV bullets. And like six more seasons. Right. This is when we see the car spin out and go over the go over the edge of the cliff uh, from our that we saw in the, in the beginning um, intro set of scenes. Car crashes down, rolls over a couple times. We cut to the next scene, our, our kind of final sequence where Rockford's all bandaged up. And we learned that he he survived yeah. with with bruises and injuries and obviously a gunshot wound in his arm, but he survived. They're basically in the police station. And he's giving kind of you know they're taking his final statement essentially on everything. Yeah. Technically, because Becker never served him with the warrant for arrest, they can't charge him with avoiding arrest. Right. And this is something Becker right. offers. Right. This this it's important that this comes from. Because Deal is ready to throw the book at him for anything he can throw at him, right? He knows that he can't get him for right. murder, but he's like, you're resisting arrest. We can, we can get you for that. And Becker says, well, he can get off on a technicality. Technically, we never served, so... Becker looking looking out for his buddy Jim, even though he got socked in the gut. And he specifically says that he... I'm trying to remember how he words it, but he, he does say that he owes him a sucker punch, which he can't give to him if he's right. in prison. <laughs> right, so, exactly. Thank, or yeah. a gut punch or something like that. I appreciate like, Sergeant Dennis Becker taking a stand against uh, police brutality against prisoners. I yes. think that's a, a strong move on that character's part, so good job there. So Rockford is off criminal charges he's the, the the truth has come out everyone knows what happened he's not going to be arrested he's leaving this the room where they had that conversation and finds out kind of in passing that mike is uh, dying in the hospital of internal injuries suffered in the crash so we get a little closure on on what happens with him and that is when we have our final scene with the countess talking to Rockford as he's coming out with all his bandages and everything. They share the news, you know, he's sorry for her. And they have this really interesting conversation to close out the episode. It could just end here, right? Like that could, he could, you know, be like, I'm sorry for that. Maybe comfort her or something. And that could just be the end of the episode. Because like the plot is resolved. We know what happened. But the Countess gets, you know, kind of sad and talks about how she guesses in the end everything is plastic like the cup you know like the little plastic cup that he gave her yeah uh, way back in the beginning in the end mike was just as fake as all the other fake people that she thought he wasn't like right she kind of takes it on herself because she said that he got a plastic he wanted a countess and he got a plastic count countess mm -hmm. um I, I think the scene could be read a couple different ways I, and i think one of them is involves her both her and rockford having tremendous empathy for this guy who was murdered right. once and is attempted to murder rockford and is now dying uh, because of but it. yeah but she sort of t takes a little she takes the guilt on herself um in this uh but in in any case it's like a, it's a a well a, you know a, a bunch of mixed emotions that she's feeling all of which are sad and uh i don't even remember what the exact so line she is with so Rockford? she uh when she's saying that things are plastic they use that word a couple of times i think it's a little of the time the way that she's using it where it's kind of using it to mean like yeah. fake manufactured 
not you know not real yeah so yeah she's kind of like he got a plastic countess like because i'm not really a countess i'm really this girl from chicago right like that's kind of that but also he ended up not being a great guy he murdered someone right like those are both um right those are both in there and so jim kind of comes back with this very philosophical little soliloquy about she's not wrong it's like she's essentially correct in being in letting and having this be a problem and like people are all fake right like people are all right pretending to be someone they're not for each other and he talks about uh it's what we get for living in a society with where everything ends in 99 cents and there's billboards for yeah. funeral homes or something like that like life yeah, is life cheap, is cheap and everyone's of, trying to sell you um, something you know kind of thing like he starts it all off by just saying we're yeah, all scared everyone to death, is scared to death which is yeah yeah <laughs> pretty pretty profound um <laughs> Everyone's scared to death and everyone just wants something to believe is real. She wanted to believe he was real. He wanted to believe she was real. Everyone wants that in their life. But you're just playing a big practical joke because you know that it's not real. And so you have to just keep laughing. And that's so good. It's so so wonderfully optimistic and cynical at the Mm -hmm. same time. Like it's we're we're screwed. So at least enjoy that joke. (laughs) Enjoy the. The humor that could be found in the fact that uh, that we're not going to be yeah, able to pull the, this off. Yeah, the, uh, the absurdity. Yeah. The fact that everything is so absurd, accepting that is what frees you from it a little bit. It's really interesting because this is really close to the beginning of the series. Um, there was the pilot, which is a two-part episode, and then the first broadcast, whatever, the first regular episode, and then this is the third episode of the whole thing. And it's almost a little bit of like a mission statement or a little bit of statement of philosophy for the character for the entire rest of the series yeah and it really plays on a lot of the things i think we've said about about the character of rockford where he is able to acknowledge so many different kinds of people and so many different pressures that are upon him but he doesn't let them master him he does have some kind of fundamental ethical principles that he thinks are important to maintain like not selling out his clients and stuff like that but he's willing to do anything else Right. Pretend to be other people. Right. Pull cons. Tell people who are innocent lies. All kinds of stuff. And it's kind of like, what else is he going to do? Right. Like, it's all a big practical joke. But also, like, people want to believe that he's real when he walks in with these with these characters or walks in with these lies. People essentially want to believe that he's not lying. And that's what makes him able to do what he does. Is that reading too much into it? No, I think that's great. Uh, Like, you know, before when we were talking about her bringing up the fact that he's not impressed by titles uh and then the fact that 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 is the fundamentally how he maintains control of these various cons that he runs throughout an investigation is by presenting them with his title first you know like he's uh an insurance investigator or he he works (laughs) at a funeral home or you know like something that like somebody if not impressed with, would think that, you know, is supposed to be there. And it fits in with this whole, like, thin veneer of what holds society together. And it's it's interesting because, so he stands as a sort of buffer between what we'll call <laughs> civilized society and then uh, the rest because he, he can see through that. Uh, but then he's got a set of priorities that we can mm-hmm. trust, right? Like, I think a lot of times these shows come down to people... Just having different sets of priorities and those putting them at such odds with each other that occasionally they kill right. each other or, you know, 
so that makes his character uh, comforting to us because it's like, well, I agree with his priorities and he's also able to freely move in this realm where he sees through all that. Because if, if, if you spend too much time seeing through all that, you can become, uh, like she does, morose and cynical and, you know. Yeah, it's that combination <laughs> of optimism and cynicism that is so compelling. And, and being optimistic when it's appropriate and being cynical when it's appropriate and like knowing when to be each. Yeah. Uh, that makes, that makes Rockford so interesting. Anything else? Did, did Rockford make any money this episode? <laughs> no, he did not. Well, he may have made some money before the episode, right? Uh, when he, or at the very beginning where he's taping her, uh, he's obviously on her dime while that's happening, but there was no discussion of that. Mm-hmm. So we don't know for sure. Um, and more likely what happened is he paid for all that equipment and he got stiff with the bill. If, if it follows, right. yeah, it's to form, not explicit then, though. But... He does have the line about how he's not working for her anymore. Now he's working for himself. And that occurs after right. the whole confrontation on the beach. and So there, there's probably two mm-hmm. good days worth of work in there. So All we right. could say about $400, maybe, plus expenses, if he can get her to pay, pay for, for the, the injuries, Pay for the gunshot wound uh, yeah. injury inflicted by her husband. Yeah, it does, it's not actually addressed in this episode, so I guess we could think that this is one of the rare paying gigs that, <laughs> that he ended up getting. Yeah. Again, he, he doesn't eat his hors d'oeuvre, and he has this nice little line about uh, about hot dogs. But other than that, no no meals in this episode for Rockford. He's too busy running around and no uh, getting shot. And avoiding uh, yes. prison sentences. He's too sentences. busy avoiding prison sentences to eat. Anything else about this episode? Uh, good one. Uh, that was, uh, it was, it was a great one to revisit. I think the performances um, are strong. Yeah, and it's not as... Uh, experimental in its filming style mm. as some the other ones that we've looked at uh, most recently. And the music, you know, like, I think we've commented on the other ones that uh, both in, you know, directorial choices, but also in musical choices. And, like, this one doesn't quite, it doesn't stand out there, but the acting mm. and the writing definitely... Yeah, yeah, that um, that sense of up. after the halfway point in the episode where all the, the pieces start falling together and the string of, of when things happen and why all make narrative sense, even though they're they're convenient, right? Yeah. Like the cops pulling up to see him getting abducted by the, the mob and that kind of stuff. It all just falls together so smoothly that you're like on board and ready ready to see where it's all going. Uh, yeah, good one. Good, good foundational episode. I think if you haven't seen a lot of the show, this wouldn't be a bad one to, to watch. Yeah, and and that statement at the end, that kind of that kind of philosophical soliloquy at the end is, uh, it's a little abrupt. Like it's a it's tonally, it's very like. And now here is this meditation yeah. on the nature of modern life, right? But, uh, <laughs> but it's not completely out of place, and it's really worth worth seeing on the screen. So, uh, yeah, definitely recommended. Yeah, for sure. All right, so that's what we think of the Countess, and we'll be back in our second half with some thoughts on the narrative well, elements we have you to here. use in If you like the podcast, games. there's three ways to support us. First, rate and review on iTunes or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. Second, you can support us directly for as little as a dollar an episode at patreon.com slash 200 a day. This enables us to do things like upgrade our audio, and if we get enough support, release shows more often, so it'll be more Rockford for you. And third, both of us have other projects. 
Epi, what do you have going on right now? Uh, you can check out my Sword and Sorcery Fiction and the Sword and Sorcery Fiction of other people, uh, along with games and comics at worldswithoutmaster.com. So Nathan, what do you have going on? Well, I'm always working on designing and publishing new games. You can find my current offerings, including the Worldwide Wrestling Role Playing Game, at ndpdesign.com. Or check out my Patreon for process and new experiments at patreon.com slash ndpaoletta. Thanks for listening. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to 200 a Day. Discuss the episode Countess. And uh, now we're going to talk a little bit about thoughts that that episode inspired in us uh, as they relate to writing fiction or playing in games that involve fiction. I, I only had a couple things. Again, the the overall pacing of the of the plot and how it kind of all fell together towards the end, I think was really strong. So it's it's in the bell curve of our general feeling about Rockford, which is that like there's nothing unnecessary right. and it all kind of uh, has a tight relationship to itself. Uh, oh, sorry. We could just keep saying the same right. good things about each episode. But, but this one, <laughs> the the one one particular thing that jumped out in my mind from this episode was how the backstory of the Countess was very important, but also not focused on to the exclusion of the actual story that was being told. Yeah. Details about why she's being blackmailed and why this guy knows her and why she's a countess and why she's married to this guy and the fact that she's in Chicago, why that mattered. And all those details are essentially given to us in exposition over the course of kind of two scenes, kind of two and a half scenes. Um, yeah. And watching the TV show, that's helpful because we are kind of learning it as Rockford is learning it. So we understand Rockford's reactions to what she wants him to do. Um, but in another context, that exposition, it feels to me kind of like character backstory, right? Like this is why this character is the way she is, but the story is picking up at a later point. So how do you transmit that information in a way that isn't, and now this entire chapter is about her backstory or this entire session is about, uh, this NPC's backstory or something like that. You get the impression after watching the episode, because like when you start the episode, it's uh, a little bit yeah. in media res, right? Like Rockford is doing something. He's setting up this camera and you're not sure why. And after you're done with the episode, say you're going to go uh, chat with a friend of yours over a podcast about the episode and you end up thinking about it yeah, more some, than you some normally do. Some weird fringe situation uh, like that. Yeah, yeah. You end up looking back at the very beginning and thinking about what Rockford was hired to do, right? He probably was just somebody that she could vaguely trust for discretion that would run right. this videotape, right? Like he she she may have told him that she was being blackmailed, but I think I don't think that he had any I think other even part that of that. She tells mystery. him in the first conversation we see them. Yeah. So in the beginning, he's hired to do the simplest of tasks. Well, no, wait. Apologies to cameramen and women everywhere. I don't mean that necessarily. But, like, it, he's not hired for his full skills. And um, this happens, I think, kind of often in Rockford where he's hired. Somebody mistakenly thinks that they should hire him to do the muscle or something else and not play to his skill set. But So he gets hired to do this, and then we get this backstory that both motivates the action of the story but takes the character of the countess and restricts her in a way 
that makes it necessary for Rockford to be involved, uh, which I like. And just it does this sort of double duty here that mm-hmm. plays out really well. Yeah, and I think the 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 revelation of the details can be played out like it is here, where you're kind of starting it with zero knowledge, and then there's a series of conversations that reveal more and more. Uh, or you could think about it like, what if like if you were playing this as a game? The game might actually start with the scene where Rockford goes to visit Carl on the beach, right? Like that right. whole lead up could be what, you know, we have established as the backstory relationship of these two characters um, or or something like that. Uh, like all that information can be delivered in, in multiple ways, I guess, uh, is, is where I'm going with that. And like, what's the most effective way to deliver it? In some episodes of Rockford, like that entire, all of those revelations would be paced out. This mob involvement from her days in Chicago is actually part of the reveal at the end, right? And like that explains right. all the things that have been happening to and around Rockford for the entire episode. In this one, on the other hand, it's not important to the plot necessarily. It's just important so that we know the, as you say, the box in which she's going to be moving and then where, and then how that, that yeah. spins out to, to, to affect what Rockford is doing. I guess the thing about it that would be really refreshing to me if I were, say, playing a game and I was on the player side of the table and being presented with this this conundrum where I don't know why she's having this interaction with this person uh, and then she reveals that she's being blackmailed uh, and then she won't tell me any more. But the, I guess the part that's great about that is that in the Rockford episode, she says mm-hmm. why she won't tell anymore. She just says... Well, I don't want you blackmailing me. And Rockford is like, that's fair. He's not going to attempt to convince her that he he won't because if you're already being blackmailed and you're afraid of being blackmailed, you, you know, the, there's no charm check in the world yeah, that's going to make like that the, happen. The, the stakes uh, of those interactions are pretty clear, right? Like, I'm willing to go yeah. this far, but no farther. So that means this conversation is about right. so in, how much I'm willing to tell you now. It's not about will I tell you everything that you will ever want to know. Right. And then you get in the next one, right. the rest of the story, or at least as much of it as you're going to get. And between the two, stuff has happened to change the situation so that it makes more sense to reveal right. it changes, more of it. Yeah. Right. It, it changes what we know about her and what she knows about what's going on. Having a character that is both playing their cards close to their chest, not, not revealing a lot of information, but also being very forthwith about the fact that they're yeah. not revealing a lot of information is kind of important because it lets people playing the game know they're on the right track and also know that they're not going to get to the end just kind of plowing and through this also very as moment. Also, as an audience, whether you're watching it or, or reading something, if you're reading like prose fiction, it kind of tells you that you're not expected to try and figure this out yourself necessarily, right? Like it's It's kind of like mm-hmm. now you're on the same page with this story about there's information that you don't know. And now part of the dramatic tension is when will I learn that piece of information? Um, and then you can combine that with when the protagonist is learning the information to, to create drama and, and tension in that way. The other thought that I had out of this was just the, the, the value of um, character central to the story and then killing them off. It's the uh, sudden, sudden yet inevitable, right? Cause I was right. Again, yeah. I vaguely remember the episode, but not really, uh, so when Carl was shot, 
it suddenly reframes the entire story. And it goes from a story about how is Rockford going to keep this creep from blackmailing or turn the tables on this guy to keep him from blackmailing the Countess to, first of all, what just happened, obviously. But it means that the story isn't about Carl, actually. The story is about the Countess, really, and... um, and her husband. Yeah. Uh, and it's just executed so, no no pun intended, um, but it's just executed so suddenly and cleanly, I guess, in the episode. Um, that just made that so, so, such a compelling moment. And it, it takes this, uh, you know, we, we start with this mystery that's maybe not a vital concern to Rockford. It's mm-hmm. a job, right? Like, I mean, he's, take some pride in his work. So I'm not going to denigrate him there, but like he's helping her out trying to stop this blackmailing thing. And as far as he knows, probably his best place just to go down there and convince this guy to stop blackmailing her, uh, by pretending to be a gorilla of some sort. And, uh, and then restructures the mystery so that now it's about keeping Rockford out of jail. It's, it's a great shift from, I'm doing my job to yeah. It oh my god! It makes it <laughs> now I need personal to... all of a sudden. It, it makes the stakes for Rockford go from being yeah. economic ones essentially and kind of ethical ones to being very, very uh, uh, personal ones of his own relationship to the inside of a jail cell. So yeah, so th- yeah, all of that reframing so, like, happens over the course of like that scene and a half essentially of from from when Carl is shot to when. Uh, uh, Beth basically get, gets him off without being charged. The entire story refocuses. So then, then we revisit the mystery. Like, the Countess reveals only so much and then says she doesn't trust Rockford to know more. And Rockford's like, oh, okay. And then now Rockford, is, is his freedom's on the line, and he has a plan or a scheme to get more information because he needs to know more to figure out what's going on here. And um, they're both on either side of that moment. But yeah, I really like that that technique, the idea of that technique. I mean, it, it depends on the details, obviously, but that idea of you think the story is about this issue or about this person, but then you can, they they are murdered or they disappear or they uh, go to the cops, right? Like they take some action that seems like it would right. just end the story, but it reframes it because it, it reveals, you know, whoever the, the actual actor is or whatever the, the, the other influences are on the story. And it kind of hits you uh, if you, you know, are used to binge watching or dealing with fiction of this matter and you're just kind of going along. You're like, okay, yeah, all right, all right. And then, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> the future that I have plotted out for this right. is thrown away now. And we're, yeah, it, we're going to It's effective because it, it doesn't happen very often in the Rockford fun. So... Yeah. Yeah. use sparingly well and i think like it's a good thing to look at as a opportunity if you're playing a game and it's not a thing that you're mm-hmm. structuring into the game itself uh you've ended up with this fist fight and well i mean this episode in particular would have to be structured but the idea the that uh due to uh, unforeseen situation like you know the someone has really hot dice or you know, the the, the, the players come right. up with a cunning plan something, that you didn't anticipate. Something goes. Um, and so your, you know, your your bad guy gets taken out in the middle of what you had planned to be a longer term story. That's an opportunity to see 
how how can you reframe the story away from it being about bringing that person to justice or whatever to what other interests and problems are there now that they're gone is, is going to reveal the next chapter yeah yeah the thing that i was looking at uh i think we kind of hit upon most of it but uh that ending uh rockford speeding away with uh mm. mike mm. Ryder pointing his gun at him and then he shoots rockford i was thinking about this in the context of games uh because violence in games in the tabletop role-playing hobby it, violence is is sits at a fundamental spot I'm, I'm i'm pausing on it because anytime you say something generalized about tabletop role-playing games immediately my brain right. starts thinking of counterexamples, so I'm like, okay, I, I don't want to say, but like, it definitely has a history of violence that is often portrayed in a in a singular fashion. Not to get too critical of it, but a, I've thought of as number reducers, mm. right? Like, um, this gunshot is going to cost Rockford so many hit points, right. and you know, so thinking about what actually is happening in that scene is uh this game of chicken like you said an almost literal game of chicken uh and then the guy calls him on it and so the question isn't what resources or what uh stats or what uh, you know what hit points does rockford have left at the end of this it's who comes out on top and who comes out yeah at all at the end of this singular moment mm -hmm. this the gunshot goes off. The car goes careening off. Rockford may have been thrown clear of the car. I'm not like the filming of that little segment makes it a little unclear, but they do have him rolling around on the ground before they take him to the hospital. And it was the 70s when people thought being thrown clear of a car was the smart thing to have happen. So it, it's an interesting look at a way to use it uh, narratively without having to fall upon uh, sort of a either a tactical combat or just a drudge to the bottom of your yeah, points, it's you know <laughs> the actual gunshot in that scene is it serves a purpose but it could be replaced by other things right like it could be mike reaching over and grabbing the wheel it could be right rockford uh letting go of the wheel for some reason right like there's a lot of individual actions that could fulfill the same purpose in this case it was you know dramatic is to for this man who's killed once to you know shoot rockford while he's in the dry, the speeding car um it has kind of a dramatic purpose in that way and i guess uh, and also for the audience it gives us a moment of like oh no now they're rockford might be dead but yeah the actual question in that scene is one of who's who's going to blink first or it's not even who's going to blink first really it's kind of like we talked about to Rockford, there is no outcome worse than the one that has already been promised him, which is he is going to die, right? And right. he also has that streak of, well, if I'm going, you're going with me anyway. So, you know, it, it's it, the dramatic question is about Mike. What is he going to do? How long is he going to let Rockford dictate the situation before abandoning the only control he has over it? I, I just picked up the game Urban Jungle, which is an anthropomorphic noir fiction game uh, from Sanguine. Uh, and I'm a longtime fan of Sanguine's games. Uh, I, I just love seeing the evolution of their mechanics over the years. In this one in particular, it relates to this because it, it has this... Uh, in the text, it talks about its combat and sort of the violence involved, and it talks about mm -hmm. that guns are loud. So if you fire a gun, somebody's going to hear it. If you're going to do it inside a city, somebody's going to call the cops, which is why... 
in the fiction, you have this situation that we see here in the Rockford episode where Mike says he's got the drop on Rockford. He's got a gun, but he's inside his house and he doesn't want to shoot Rockford in front of his wife. Probably doesn't want to mess up his house. So he's like, we're going to go for a ride. And that's such a trope that while watching it, we don't think twice. But the this rule book points out that like, if you have a gun, you want to take somebody to a place where no one's going to hear you. So you use it to control them. And then on the other end of that gun, if you're Rockford, you're going to use that opportunity to find a way to escape or to uh, get the answers that you need while you're working your way into a better opportunity. So they specifically spell that out in the book because, again, like if you're playing at the table, you can fall into this pattern of... Uh, if somebody's going to pull out a gun, it's like, well, okay, it's right. do or die right now. And uh, what happens in this episode and what often happens in Rockford, um, it's not the first time he gets the gun pulled on him in the episode. That's right. The the mafia or the organized crime goons pull the gun on him. Uh, and so each time he's like, all right, let's see where this is going to go. Uh, and then the whole time he's figuring out how he's going to get out of it or, you know, looking for opportunities to exploit, to, to. Yeah. The, the dynamic there extreme, is, and this happens over and over through Rockford episodes. Uh, but it sounds like it's mechanically spelled out in, uh, in, in Sanguine's game, but I think is usable for pretty much any, any application, which is like the person with the gun has the, the power right through the threat of force. They have the they have the power right now, but they also have some reason to like take you to another place or to delay the use of that force, right? They're not going right. to be happy with the aftermath unless they've created the perfect right. situation. So, for because again, in Rockford, the cops always win. So, like the mob yeah. doesn't want the cops to come, so they're not going to shoot them where people can hear and call the cops, et cetera, et cetera. So, Rockford always uses those pauses between when when he knows he has being dealt the worst hand to figure out how to get the upper hand. And that's where the, the dynamic. Yes. Um, there's dynamic tension there of, of him figuring out and, and using his environment to his advantage. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all, all of my thoughts. Did you have anything else on this episode? No, I think, I think we've, uh, I'm looking over my notes here and I think every single exclamation point I have here, we hit upon. Yeah, no, it was a good episode. A lot of fun. I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying doing this. Obviously, but like it's, I didn't. Every time yeah. I sit down to watch one with my notebook open, I'm like, "Oh, that's right, I'm I've, doing this. This is yeah, fun. for sure." Yeah, I think with that, we have certainly earned our 200 for today. We hope yeah. you are enjoying these discussions as much as we are enjoying having them. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back next time to talk about another episode of the Rockford Files.